You're listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.us or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. Thanks, everyone. Got some props this morning. If you're listening to this on podcast, you'll have to envision it in your mind. We haven't gone live yet. We'll get there someday soon. Until then, you'll just have to picture these three chairs. Thanks for honoring me so well, Owen. It's to the point where it gets a little embarrassing. You're like, man, that's. <laughs> I guess he's talking about me. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. I felt like you've been talking to, started talking about me and then started, kind of went into somebody else. But <laughs> Wow. God's good. Let's pray. So, Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation, Holy Spirit, we just... You're welcome to do anything you want in these next few moments of transforming our minds. We ask that you'd highlight anything that we're believing that's not true, that opposes your will for our lives or opposes your kingdom or kingdom mentality or kingdom thinking, and that you would replace it with the truth of your word. Yeah, would you just uproot any religious system or any tradition or anything else that you don't want us to have anymore. Very likely that all of us want to get rid of that stuff anyway. So we thank you that you're always, in my experience, quick to answer that prayer. We just want to leave here changed. So I pray that every one of us would encounter you. You're the one that changes us. Transformation would come through the power of your love, that your embrace would be upon this whole room, that you'd wrap the whole family up in your arms, Dad. <laughs> Just squeeze us, hold us close to your heart. Help us to ex- have an experiential knowledge of you before this little bit of time we get to spend together is over. That what you did in our hearts, sir hearts and minds during worship, you would bring truth to it, that you would bring your word and to bring it, us into a place of making sure that it becomes a solid foundation of where we live from. Yeah, thank you, Father. Ah, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Touch every heart, every mind. Every heart, every mind. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Somebody thought I was praying too long, so that's what kids do when I pray too long. (laughs) 
<laughs> want me to stop? Oh, Jesus, yes. So as you see, I've got, I've got three chairs here. And this is, one, this is an example I used a couple Wednesday nights ago. Um, but it's an example that I've used. If you've been here for a while, you've seen me use this one time before. Um, and it's one of the most practical but powerful examples that I've personally seen of what we, so that we can visualize what it looks like to rest in who we are as sons and daughters. But there has to be something that happens first before we see ourselves exactly the way that God says we are. You know, we, we sang two songs and, you know, Sarah and the team, she just picks out, whoever's leading picks out the songs according, they just prayerfully consider what, what Holy Spirit wants to do. And so they're not, they're not picking their favorite songs or what they, even their own preference. They're picking what they're led to in the, in the moment. You know, everything's designed by Him. He, he's intentional when it comes to what we do in worship and how it's going to correlate with what He wants to do through, through the Word. Or if there's not any teaching that day, the worship, you know, can, can do it all. I've been in moments like that. You probably have too where it's just not necessary. <clears throat> and sometimes it is though when we... We worship and we have an encounter, and then our experience, then somebody teaches us truth that comes from the word that gives us a solid foundation to be able to live from. Um, the experience that we had is no longer just an experience, but it actually starts to become foundational um, to our identity and who he is to us. Right? The two most important things that there are in the kingdom are who God is as a father and who we are as sons and daughters, period. There's nothing else that needs to be added to that because everything comes out of those, those two revelations. But those two revelations go hand in hand. We have three, three of the four pillars that we have are intimacy in our, in our ministry, the, the foundational things that we believe they're up on the wall. If you look to your right when you come in the door, it's intimacy, identity, impact, and honor. Those, those all four go together, but they all start in, in intimacy. They start in a personal, that's why we say you make a, a decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm beginning to be even more clear when I get an opportunity to lead somebody into, into salvation, to be born again, so that they know what they're signing up for. You're not just signing up for a one-way ticket to heaven. Right? There's more to it. If that was all there was to it, that, I mean, that'd be enough. But that's not all that there is. And so, because there, that Jesus paid for more than that to happen, we want all of it. Right? I mean, he paid a really high price. The Father paid with Jesus' life for everything that we'll ever need in this life. Everything that we'll ever need will be wrapped up in, in the revelation through intimacy of who the Father is and who we are. Once we know that stuff doesn't matter as much to us anymore. Because if, if stuff is what made us happy, we'd all, we'd all be thrilled, right? Every moment of every day. Even if the, the, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, jobs, raises, bonuses, all that stuff brings temporal Temporal happiness, we've all found out, right? It's, we call it destination disease. If, if I'll just, once I get 
Once I get and you fill in the blank, I'll be good. And we've all found out that's not true, right? Even the new car smell wears off, right? The new house, you get used to it. The new marriage, (laughs) you find out it's a little different living together, (laughs) right? Things come up. You get aggravated, you know? They squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and you don't like that. So then you find things to solve small problems, like buy your own tube. <laughs> you know, you know it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm being cheeky, I'm being funny about it, but you know that th- there's little things that aggravate you about your, your spouse or the people that you've, you've lived with or your roommates. You know it's true, right? And so the newness of everything wears off. And unfortunately, we take that into the kingdom with us. And there are times when the newness of Jesus wears off. Because it's exciting when I get set free in that moment. It's exciting, right? I'm grateful. But if it doesn't lead me into intimacy, if nobody disciples me, if nobody shows me what, what this is really about, that it wasn't, about just, it wasn't only about salvation, but it was actually who he created me to be. He predestined me to be a son before the foundation of the world, right? In Ephesians 1, it'd be good for all of us just to read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 just over and over and over and over and over again until I believe it. Until I can look in the mirror and, say, and look myself in the eyes. This is a good test of whether or not you believe he is, you are who he says you are. Look in the mirror and say, I'm worthy, I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm worth everything Jesus paid for me, every drop of blood, the beating he took, I'm worth all of it. If you can look yourself in the mirror and say, right in the eyes and, and say that, you'll know whether or not you believe it or at what level you believe it, right? There's a starting point and then we're being transformed into the image of his son, That was what he predestined us to be. It was part of his plan. It wasn't even our decision. So that means that he wants it more than I want it. Isn't that amazing? So me knowing who he is is the most important revelation that I'll ever have outside of knowing what Jesus did for me. But actually knowing what Jesus did for me leads me into the, or is supposed to lead me into the revelation of the goodness of God, that he's a good father. I love the, uh, you know, we sang two songs about his goodness, and part of Sarah's new song is, a, is about that, that you're, you're always good. And I love that, that she had it in, and my mind's made up about you. I was asking, my, I was asking you know, during worship, is it? Is, is my mind made up about you? That you're always good. And what definition of good am I using? Am I using his or mine? Because his definition of good sent Jesus to the cross. John 3.16. It's, it's good like we can't, you, you can't compare it to, to the, the natural world. John 3.16 sums up. I, I don't need another verse, but there's lots of them. For God so loved the world that he gave. All right? That's the kind of father he is. And so some of what I'll teach you today with these three chairs 
will reveal what you believe about him. Because it's essential for me to see him clearly, for me to see myself clearly. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, right? And they all birth. Everything that we do is to be birthed through intimacy with him. There's no shortcut. I love all the infartation and the prophetic words and, you know, people praying for me and me getting wrecked. But, but it all led me into intimacy with him. If it ever pushes me away and I think I only need the experience, somebody either hasn't taught me well, I've been mistaken, or I've moved into a dangerous place. All right? You can't have all word and no Holy Spirit, because then you just become knowledgeable and religious. And all you want to do is, you can tell how, how much of that that you are when you get into a conversation with somebody about, about the Bible. You'll know in that moment how important it is for you to be right. Because when, when I care more about being right than I care about the relationship, then I, I've left the topic of kingdom. And I don't ever want to do that again because I've been there before. Right? Because I was just crazy religious. I really was. But you can't have all Holy Spirit and no word. Otherwise, you become a charismaniac. <laughs> it's true you don't have any foundation. And, and you, you know, that's why you surround yourself with, with people that will confront you in love and tell you the truth so that you don't remove into erroneous doctrine of the Bible. Oh. And so that, that's why you need both. John Wimber called it the radical middle. All the Holy Spirit I can get and all the Word I can get combined. They're never supposed to be separated. I want it all. Jesus paid for all of it, right? Did we sing that song, You Can Have It All? I mean, He sings that back over us. You can have it all. Every part of my world. We were singing that song, you know, all my love, all my love, all my love. I could just hear Jesus singing that over us. It makes more sense for him to sing it over us than it does for us to sing it to him. Because all my love came from him. <laughs> he says, you can have all my love. But then there's a question that comes after it. What will you do with it? know who I am, it's seamless in what I'll do. My natural response to love is to love others. And that's not just being nice to people, right? I'm sure you know people that are nice that aren't Christians. <laughs> being nice is supposed to be a no-brainer. <laughs> Dying to self, and then when there's something that needs the kingdom to become invade... In any situation, no matter what it is, I know, when I know who I am, I know that Jesus can change it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. If there's no breath in somebody's body and their pulse, is, their heartbeat is stopped, I know that Jesus can bring life. If there's a cancer patient, I know that Jesus can heal. If somebody's got a cold or pain in their body or their marriage is a mess, they need reconciliation or they need a financial miracle or they, whatever it is, you need food multiplied. I'm telling you, when you're feeding people, you run out of food, you can just pray and, and it'll be multiplied. 
I mean, you can't just pick what you want out of the Bible and say, well, I'm just good with this, and then I don't want the whole thing. It's a package deal, right? It's a good package, right? It's better than any health care package you'll ever get. <laughs> and so chair number one, chair number one, chair number one is... The Christian who's resting in their identity, who knows who they are. From, from this chair, I'm confident of who the Father is. I know that He's good. My mind's made up about Him. I sing He's a good Father, not just in worship, not just in the times when I just got blessed or just got breakthrough, but when everything's going, it seems to be going wrong in life, and I feel oppression and and it's like everything looks bad and people may be sick around me or even losing their life or whatever it is. And I'm still declaring that he's good. Because you'll never find out actually how good you think he is until, until things go wrong. <laughs> and so from this chair, I'm confident. I say, my mind's made up about you. You're always good. And that's because I'm resting in who I am. Chair number two, also a Christian. Both these chairs. Saved. Everybody say saved. saved. Both these chairs are going to heaven. But chair number two, I'm not resting, I'm restless. Chair number two, I'm a, I'm a carnal Christian who lives out of my flesh. By that, I mean I live out of my mind, my personal will, and my emotions. I'll get to some more of that in a minute. Okay? Chair number three. I can't sit in this chair because it doesn't belong to me anymore. Chair number three is the lost, or like I, I like to say, not yet saved. Over four billion people are in this chair. Over a, million Mus over a billion Muslims are in this chair. No, not all paths lead to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You get mad at me if you want to because I said that. I just read it out of the Bible, you know, and he, he is. And so he's the tr he's, he is the truth, the way, and life. And so why I'm showing you these chairs is because our mandate as sons and daughters of God is to eliminate chair number three. But to eliminate chair number three, chair number two has to be eliminated also at some level. I believe that we can eliminate it altogether because what happens is, is that chair number two and chair number three look very similar. I'm sure nobody in this room has ever looked like that, but I'm sure that you may know a Christian <laughs> who's acted just like chair number three that you'd had no idea that they, that they knew Jesus. Sadly enough to say, I've been that, I've been that Christian more times than, than I can count, right? And so this message isn't going to bring you condemnation or, or shame or guilt. It's going to bring you empowerment because it's going to show you how easy it is to switch from chair number two to chair number one because all, both of these chairs we can get in and out of at any given moment. You say, well, I'm sold out. I'm on fire for Jesus. Okay. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not around you all the time. Only you can judge. 
But we are created to be love every moment of every single day in every situation with every single person. Selfless, agape love, not expecting anything in return. And that's what I look like in chair number one. In chair number one, I'm selfless. In chair number one, I'm fearless. I can look fear in the face and I can say, not today. You will not dictate where I live from because I live from love and therefore you cannot influence me to make a decision that's outside of love because I'm resting in love. But in chair number two, I'm afraid. In chair number two, I'm worried. In chair number two, I'm stressed. In chair number two, I feel pressure. Chair number one, I feel his presence. Chair number one, I slay giants. In chair number two, I just talk about them as if they're bigger than Jesus. Chair number one, I just worship and watch what God will do. In chair number two, I'm trying to work to take God's place to see what I can accomplish because I don't actually trust him. In chair number one, in chair number one, I have hope, I have peace, and I have joy because I'm living out of the unity of the Holy Spirit, right? My every passion and desire is pure and holy, period. It says at the end of Galatians 5, for those that are his have crucified their passions and desires, their passions, that means all the ones that I used to have and was never supposed to have. But in chair number two, it's all about me. And my passions and desires are no longer pure. My passions and desires that will fulfill my needs for my own selfish gain lead me. From chair number two, I'm stingy. I don't want to give. I'm not like Owen. From chair number one, I look a lot more like Owen, right? Because he looks like Jesus. That's true. It's God's nature to give, right? We did John 3, 16, right? You know, in Romans 8, verse 14, I love it in the Passion Translation. I love it in all translations, but it says that the mature children of God are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. In other translations, it says, for sons and daughters are led by the Spirit of God. I like the passion because it actually, because if you feel like you're not led in the other translations, you think, well, maybe I'm not a son or daughter. But if you read in Galatians 3.26 through verse, chapter 4, verse 7, but just verse 26 says you're all sons and daughters through faith in Christ Jesus. So the moment that you accepted Jesus, you were a son or daughter. You can't change it, Right? <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, you can't even, you, you can't even frustrate God enough to, to make him reject you, right? The full acceptance of heaven is upon you. And from chair number one, I realize that I'm accepted. Chair number two, I still feel rejected. Chair number two, I'm wondering what he thinks about me. In chair number one, I'm convinced that he sees me just the way that he says he does. 
holy, blameless, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He sees me sinless and perfect. I like to just look around after I say that to see your faces. Because it's a lot, so it's a lot to get a hold of. But from chair number one, I get it because that's where I digest truth through my spirit and it transforms my mind. And chair number two, I try to actually understand Jesus and the word of God through my intellect and then digest it down into my spirit. Chair number one, I live by faith and I trust him. If you look at Ephesians 2.6, this is chair number one, Ephesians 2.6. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But how is it possible for you to go to heaven? You can only go to heaven if you're sinless, right? Perfect, without blame. Righteous, holy. There's nothing that's going into heaven, would we agree, that's not any of those things? So, do we agree that Ephesians 2 6 is for us right now? That it's as much about a perspective and resting in Jesus as it is about placement or location. And so, living in this chair is that place which means all those things are true because I couldn't be seated there unless I was completely sinless. This is the problem we have in our minds with that particular truth is that we associate ourselves and our behavior as one. And Jesus looks at the person and the behavior separately. Because who he says you are is who you are, and the choices that you make don't define who you are. What he says about us is what defines who we are. That's good news, isn't it? But we're still associated. In chair number two, I battle with that in my mind. Because I'm still associating the bad behavior that I have. Because as soon as I say that, there's at least a few of you that thought, well, I still make bad choices, so how can I be perfect? Ask him. He made you that way. It is because he does not associate the choices that we make with our identity. They are not one and the same. And when I find that out, I move back over into chair number one because... When I find out the truth, what it does is it transforms my behavior. In chair number two, I try really hard out of my own strength to transform my behavior. I'm behavior focused. Mm. You're like, well, what if I don't focus on my behavior? How am I going to, how am I going to be holy? <laughs> Guess what? You didn't make you holy. I didn't make me holy. I didn't have the power, the strength, the might, or anything else to be able to do that. Right? It was by the blood of Jesus that we became holy. It's by 
faith through grace that, or by grace through faith, that we've been saved, right? And that's not of ourselves. If you look at Romans 12, 3, it even says that for each one of you was dealt a measure of faith. So, track with me. God gave me the faith. Then it says nobody can come to the Father unless he first draws them. So God gave me the faith. He drew me to him, and then he released the grace from the cross over 2,000 years ago through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And he showed me that that was truth. And so where in that scenario did I do anything to figure out what he did for me? (laughs) Just my whole life full of ginormous, really dumb choices. There was this like moment of light in this epiphany or revelation that comes of who Jesus is. And it was in that moment that I was so desperate and he'd been running after me for so long. I, I said yes, because he made it possible. I couldn't even say yes without him. And so in chair number one, I rest in the fact that I didn't do anything for this. And so then my holiness doesn't depend on what I do. Me living out of of that I realize is actually about me knowing him, which shows me the truth about who I am. I'm made in his image. I mean, from, from chair number one, I rest in the fact that I'm made in his image, right? I rest in the truth of who he says he is through the person of Jesus. I've had people question Well, how can I see how God is good? Look at Jesus. His whole life, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, says that Jesus, no one's ever seen the Father at any time, but Jesus, the Son who's close to his heart, actually declared him to us. That means his life, what he did in every situation, showed us what the Father looks like. I look all Everything that I believe about God comes through the lens of who Jesus is, period. Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.15, they tell me that he's the very portrait, the divine nature, the very character of who the Father is. That's who Jesus is. I have to get that. We want to move into prophecy and healing and seeing the dead raised and seeing our city changed. I'm telling you what, that if our city is changed and we don't know what the Father looks like, they won't know what he looks like either. And so then they will represent or they will multiply who he actually isn't. So is it better off that our city has changed? Is it better off that our city has changed and them think that he's just a religious, demanding, angry God who's a dictator? Or would it be better for the body of Christ to actually get, as we are, who he is as a good father? It's happening now. So I'm not like holding off on citywide transformation. We're believing for it now. But I'm giving you an example. They have to. It's beyond salvation. My first interaction with a person who leads me to Jesus will show me what the Father looks like, and I'll look from that lens, from that point forward, until somebody shows me different. From chair number one, if I lived there from the time that I get saved, it was because whoever got me, led me to Jesus, helped me get born again, showed me that God's a good Father. Told me that. Showed me that Jesus was a demonstration of what the Father looked like. 
I'm grateful that I got led to Jesus and to save me from addiction and death and suicide and all kinds of other horrible things. And I don't regret it, and I'm not upset with the people who didn't show it to me. But I lived out of chair number two for years of my Christianity, seeing miracles, giving accurate prophetic words, making demons leave because I just like to do it, seeing people give their life to Jesus, preaching occasionally a good sermon. Most of the time, they were mediocre at best. But this whole time, I lived out of this chair, performing for love. <coughs> Everything that I did was for love. There's only two places that, that we live from. We either live from chair number two, where I'm trying to get love for what I do, or I live from chair number one, where I'm actually, hopefully not on the floor if I miss this chair. <laughs> I live from chair number one, where I'm actually living from love. I know from this chair that I'm fully loved, that I'm fully accepted, that I'll never be rejected. I can't do anything bad enough to change his love for me. I don't think for one minute that that allows bad behavior because when I know that, it changes everything about me, it changes everything that I think and believe. Because I found out when I switched over to this chair, that he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. And then because of that, from chair number one, I love without a hook. I love with no agenda. But from chair number two, I love for what I can get. There's always a hook. I've done it. Maybe you never have. Right? I've got an agenda when I approach the person at the mall. I've got an agenda when I approach, approach the person in public. It's all about... I want to get you to my church. It's all about, I want to get you to say this prayer. It's all about, neither one of those are bad things, right? You'd agree? Get you to say this prayer. You, if you don't have an account, at least you have a head knowledge of your salvation. <laughs> Maybe that'll lead you into an encounter. Be hopeful, Right? So both those are good things, but from this chair, I care about what I can get you to do and what I can get from you. Even I can make it spiritual, and it still becomes about my agenda. From chair number one, I just love you, and then God changes you. From chair number one, this is what I say when somebody says something about a Satanist or a witch or... You name it, the worst, whatever's bad to you, radical jihadists, you know, that are beheading Christians. My first response when I'm sitting in this chair is when they say, oh, well, there's, there's going to be a Satanist there. And I say, I love Satanists. <laughs> I noticed the other day that it just comes out of my mouth because for years now, I've trained myself to say that, right? So that I first started to do it because living from this chair, I realized that God sees them the way that he sees me right now. Oh, you think that he just sees us that way that are saved? Why do you think we are saved? I know because of what Jesus did. But because he, he can see us already 
through the finished work of the cross. And that's how he sees the rest of the world. And your mind from chair number two will say, well, what about, fill in the blank, what about that radical jihadist that killed a Christian yesterday? What about the adulterer, husband or wife? What about the person that beats the, the children? What about, right, you, whatever's bad to you, we got a list of them, right? From this chair, from chair number two, all those bad things when I see them on the news or when I hear about them, I want justice that's actually judgment. I want justice that's actually punishment. They deserve to be punished. But what about us? From this chair, I'm all about justice that's not actually justice. But from chair number one, my justice looks like what's, what's God's vengeance? That person giving their life to Jesus and seeing who they are. You say, well, they're not going to pay for. I could give you a list of things that I never paid for. <laughs> and you could too if you thought hard enough. Because sin, sin is sin. Period. And Jesus paid for it all. You can call it little bit of sin. You can call it big sin. It still cost him his life. All right? Chair number three doesn't know that because I've seen chair number two. I've been an example of what that looks like at times. I've been an example of what religion looks like, the form of godliness that actually has no power. And the power I'm not, I'm not talking about is the power of signs, wonders, and miracles. The power that I am talking about is the power of love. They couldn't see what the Father looked like. Look at the... Look at the children of Israel. If you think the power of God will change a generation without, with the absence of actually encountering him as love, look at the children of Israel, just the example that you have in Exodus 12 through 14. In Exodus 12, we see that the children of Israel, they were able to pillage the Egyptians, all their stuff, right? God showed them favor and I mean, it says that they were able to, they had all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff from the Egyptians. I mean, if you can imagine they, they were, I'll have to answer it later. I will though, I promise. You can imagine that they had Versace and, and Gucci on, you know, I'm making it modern for you. What? <laughs> had $400 Clark's dress shoes. They had gold bracelets up to their you know, uh, past their elbows, Mr. T chains, real gold, <laughs> diamonds, rubies in them. They get all this stuff. God shows them favor. He demonstrated that he was going to make sure that they got set free after 400 years of captivity. He leads them out through Moses. And then by night, he leads them by a pillar of fire. Supernatural. Somebody wasn't holding a stick that was on fire. It was a pillar of fire. And by day, it was a cloud. It was the glory of God. He leads them by both forms that are supernatural, gives them all this stuff. And what's the first thing they say when the Egyptians are coming after them and they see them? Why'd you bring us out here to die? We should have just stayed in Egypt. You know how that's possible? Because the thinking hadn't been changed. 
You can get all the blessing. You can see all the stuff. The craziest, most radical things that you've ever imagined. You'd only have seen stuff that before I knew who I was. That you'd only, I'd only seen in movies. Crazy stuff. It didn't change who I was. Because only truth could set me free from who I was never supposed to be. Chair number two, I focus on what I can get from God and what He can do for me. It's all about my breakthrough, all about my blessing, all about me. All about me. Chair number one, my heart cries the same thing it is, same thing it was that came from Paul, Philippians 3.10. I'll wrap this up. I think I gave you enough truth for one day. Rapid fired some of it. I know you may need to go back and listen, but it's just <laughs> I do believe that Jesus is doing calculated strikes of of truth into our minds that's transforming us. I feel, I feel it. We're on the edge of a huge, ginormous breakthrough, and the breakthrough is in who He is, and, and then in turn who we are. I'm not I don't not interested in hype. Not interested in pumping you up or trying to get you excited. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him. Remember, Paul, at the end of his life, the guy who'd been knocked down by God on the road to Damascus, was killing Christians, consenting to their deaths, imprisoning them. He's a pretty bad dude. Let me tell you again that God's leading this movement that's happening across the world by some of the worst of the worst. You know why? Just because they were willing to say yes. Sometimes the rest of people were just caught up with what we can get. All about my convenience, all about my comfort. So Paul, at the end of his life, a guy who had had some of the most radical encounters that I've ever seen. I mean, the apostles didn't even teach him. He went up and spent three years we're just getting revelation downloads from Jesus himself. I mean, that's, <laughs> come on. <laughs> he didn't go to Bible school or seminary. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's just a waste of time. God leads you there. It's a good thing. If you do it just to get more education, you let it st- prevent you from thinking that you're not ready to impact the world with Jesus. Just a waste of time. God's not waiting. God's not waiting for you to have it all together. God's not, he didn't wait for me to have it all together. I still don't, right? I don't do the things I used to. I don't have sin issues in my life. Sin's a non-issue for me anymore. It's not even on the table, all right? But I still don't love like him. That's what I mean when I say I don't have it all together. I love like him in some situations and a lot more than I used to, but I still don't love like him a lot more than I want to. Paul says this, that I may know him. That was his heart's cry. We could learn something from that. That's my, that's, that's my heart cry, that I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. 
Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, perfected, but I press on. Verse 13 is powerful. This is for us today. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Press towards the prize, the goal, everything you paid for. Some of us, we just got to let go of the mistakes we made. We got to let go of the choices that we made that weren't him. We got to let go of the religious responses we've made, the times that we didn't demonstrate who he was. Just let go. Just let go of it. You may, you, say, you may say, you make it sound easy. I'm telling you that it is that easy. It is. When it's with him, it is. Doesn't mean it won't come back to your mind, but he isn't bringing it back there. But guess who might be? You or the other guy. The loser. He's lost, right? You may be able to still demonstrate power, but if you're scared of him, don't be. Don't be. You got authority over him. <laughs> when we in chair number one, we let go of our lives. In chair number one, I'm able to say, Jesus, in my living or in my dying, it's all you. It doesn't mean I want to live my fam- leave my family or, or any of that stuff. I mean, that's not, it's not suicidal. It's called selfless. It's called, it's, it's called I'm not afraid of death because it only gets better after this life. <coughs> but in chair, number, in chair number two, I cling to this life as if it's everything. In chair number one, I long for the home that I was made for. And it actually causes me to be more impactful on this planet because I won't be afraid to go somewhere that God sends me or afraid of what he's going, what, what's going to happen or afraid, fill in the blank. Remember, chair number two, I'm afraid. Chair number two, I'm fearless because I live in perfect love. When I live in perfect love, I love perfectly because that's who he is. I don't have time to talk you out of all your arguments. Jesus. Jesus is knocking at the door. Will you let him in? I know we made a joke about that, but in all seriousness, could you do the things that you say you do for him without him? Could I do the things in my life that I say are for him But if he wasn't a part of them, they wouldn't look any different. (laughs) You know why I ask questions more than anything now? Because they gauge my growth in him. Let me end with some encouragement. Just remember. So now you know all the things. Make your. uh, This is homework for you. For life. uh, Just from this sermon. But what's your chair number two list? When you're worried, when you're stressed, when you're freaking out, when you feel anxiety, when you, you know what I mean? When you're not trusting him, what's your chair number two list? You make your chair number two list. And then when you feel those things, when you think those things, you'll know I'm in chair number two. I'm not created for chair number two. I'm created for chair number one. And so then you just get up and get in chair number one, right? 
It's really, I do it in my mind. It's that simple. Is that in that moment, I picture myself resting in him. And I literally, in my mind, will say, okay, getting back into chair number one, son. I had a chair number two freakout mode. <laughs> and it can happen that fast. I mean, literally in a millisecond, you can be from chair two to chair one. Isn't that amazing? You know, from, from in three generations. No, I'm not going to go that way. This is what I believe. The generations that were coming on, that were <coughs> behind us, that have led up to this point. There were many of them that carried the truth of, of, the, of the word of God and who God is and, and paid dearly for it. Even just a few hundred years ago. Paid dearly for it, right? And now God's entrusted it to us. That's exciting. Remember, if I'm in chair number two, that brings pressure. But in chair number one, it actually causes me to feel his pleasure. This is what I believe God's doing. I believe he's expediting the process of transformation and generations. That I believe that in one generation, we can eliminate everybody who's willing of the chair number two Christian. And in turn, completely eliminate chair number three. Nineveh was saved in a day, wasn't it? Do you believe that to be true? Biblically, yes, because I see it in the Bible. But what's my truth? I know, I believe in the billion soul harvest. <coughs> my only question to that is why only a billion? I'm not content. I'm not satisfied with not one person missing out on what they were created for. You know why I can feel that? Not because it was my idea, but because it was his. He wills that none perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4, 2 Timothy 2.4, I think it's 1 Timothy. One of those two. It's his will. So if you would stand with me. You guys all right? <laughs> just feel like as we pray that his presence is just going to wash over us and the truth of the things that we needed. You, know, you may only needed one thing that was said today. You may only needed a few things that were said today. Whatever that one thing is can bring transformation in your life that You'll never again be the same from. We go from glory to glory. 
I heard somebody say, we just don't like the two part. That's the part we call process. All right? Embrace the process. Because he's in the middle of it. He's all about it. I believe he's, whole lot, he's a whole lot less focused on the finished product than he is the process. Because in the process, that's where I find out how good he is. And so, Holy Spirit, I just I thank you for what you've been doing and the truth you've been administering to people. I pray everything that opposes your goodness of who you are as a good father be broken down and destroyed in our lives and replaced with the image of who Jesus was on the planet so that we can see exactly what you look like. That we be rooted and grounded in the truth of who you are as a good dad. And that our experience would no longer trump the truth of your word. That we'd all become share number one sons and daughters. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, you would heighten our awareness to being in chair number two and that the transition from that chair to, to resting and seated in heavenly places, chair one, would, would be quick, would be seamless. And we begin to spend a whole lot more time there until that's the only place that we spend time. We thank you that you're faithful to answer that prayer, that it was your plan that we were supposed to rest in you and be seated in heavenly places. Thank you that it was your plan that we become just like you, that we be loved, that we be a, a demonstration, an example of, of your goodness and your love everywhere that we go. <laughs> I pray that you would continue to uh, assault our minds with the truth of your word until there's no lies left, <laughs> until it would be foreign for us to believe a lie, <laughs> until it would be unnatural for us to not have hope. It would be unnatural for us not to rest in the Prince of Peace. It would be unnatural for us not to be joyful. It would be unnatural for us to not be selfless. <laughs> I thank you that you're moving us into a new place of knowing who we are. Fully knowing who we are. Embracing the whole gospel. Everything that's in it. Everything that you've shown us. Everything that it costs you. I thank you that you're giving us a new appreciation for the cross, for the simple gospel of what Jesus did. And I thank you that that's going to change us in ways that we've prayed for and hoped for. Thank you that you're taking it back to the basics, the foundation, the most important part of everything you dreamed we would be has come into life in us. I thank you that the body of Christ, the bride is waking up all over the world to who you are and who we are. <laughs> I thank you that we get to be a part of this plan of yours that for so long was a divine mystery, even to angels. But you've chosen us. I pray that that play over and over in our minds that we're chosen that we're chosen, that we're chosen in you before the foundation of the world to be holy, that we're your masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. <laughs> oh, yes. Let it be a, 
constant recording of who we are. In Jesus' name. I have the prayer team, if you guys would would come. Sometimes we're looking for something new, right? We're always, we just want, like, give me something new. Give me a new word. Give me something fresh, right? That's what we want. I'm with you. But what's really important is that we get the thing he's already spoken. (coughs) Identity's it. His nature, his character, that he's good, that's it. That's it. All the other stuff that we want will come from that place. The multitudes we want to see saved, the miracles that we want to see people get because it shows them that he's present and he loves them. It brings the cross into the here and now. All right? Being able to prophesy his goodness to people and just see them changed in a moment, set free in a moment from a word that comes from from the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, all the things we want to see. Our main priority is to raise up healthy sons and daughters because that's our priority in our lives, to be healthy sons and daughters. We're getting there, aren't we? We're growing. Jesus is doing stuff in our lives that's changing the way we think and changing who we are. It's amazing. So grateful. So grateful for people who are hungry for him and truth. So if you guys need prayer, please come up. You need healing or you want somebody to partner with you for a breakthrough or somebody to encourage you, please come up. The prayer team would love to, love to pray for you. Bless you guys. I'm praying for you. Even if you don't come up for prayer, this, especially for all of you that are still fasting, we end on February 5th. praying for you to continue to get more revelation of who you are and who he is during this fast. It's happening. It's going to continue. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.us.